with you tonight. You want to turn there. Let me take some scripture from the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 4. And uh, we'll be starting to read at about verse 16 and on down through uh, verse 21. One of the things that uh, has kind of laid this particular set of scripture on my mind is uh, that what the Lord came into this world to do was to set us free. Uh, That man in his own reckoning, in his own understanding, man bound himself when that he disobeyed God. He turned away from God the way that Isaiah wrote it in, in chapter 53 of the book named after him. is uh, I believe it's the sixth verse that he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And I can tell you that they'll, they'll find sheep out in the wilderness and man, they're just a pitiful sight. When they don't have a shepherd, that yeah, they're they're free to run and go as they see fit. They're free to uh, get out, and eat whatever they want to eat, and all that. But a, a sheep has to have a shepherd, or it ends up way worse than it ever would without him. And uh, Isaiah, when he picked that, when he said that, uh, uh, it comes with the understanding that in order to be free, we have to be bound by Christ. Uh, And that almost sounds like what they call an oxymoron, uh, where you say old news or something like that, that how can you be free and yet bound? And the thing is, uh, is this world is ready to bind you. You're already bound if you're not in Christ. Uh, uh, But when Christ comes, uh, you receive Him as a King, as a Lord, as a shepherd and then suddenly you'll find that you're far freer than you ever were when you were under your own devices. But there's always the appeal and there's always the lure to walk away. There's always a good excuse to go some other direction. But here in Luke chapter 4, you'll notice this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I'll summarize the Scriptures leading up to this because you never just want to cherry pick Scripture out of the Bible. I hope you know that. You want to rightly divide the Word of truth. And right before this, Jesus was baptized of John and then He was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. That don't mean they had cars back then, by the way. What it does mean is the Holy Spirit compelled Him to go go into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he was tempted of Satan there. And Satan didn't hold back. He come to him and he began to accuse and to tempt. And when it was all said and done, it said after that Jesus had answered all of his accusations, all of his temptations with it is written. That right there tells you, you need to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word. And after he got done with all the temptation, it said that Satan left him for a season. And it said the angels came and ministered to him. He came out of the wilderness and he began his ministry. And he ends up here in Nazareth. And he goes into the local synagogue and he reads some Scripture. We'll start reading at verse 16 in Luke chapter 4. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Verse 17, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is Isaiah 61, if you're curious. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. What he said, he said, I've come to do all the things that had been promised. I've come and you'll notice he said to set them at liberty and I tell you this right here in the United States and trust me I'm about as patriotic as you can get and I can tell you that this country was founded on the notion of liberty of good men to exercise freedom but that doesn't mean that they're not bound by law that doesn't mean that everybody's free to do what's right in their own eyes and if you want to see what that turns out to be. Just go read the book of Judges and see the shape that things get in. And yet in this day and time, what people are going around doing is they're saying, no, I'm free to do whatever I want to as long as I don't offend somebody. As long as it doesn't encroach on somebody else's freedom. And yet it is in the same breath they'll turn around and say, you as a conservative Christian are not free to say what you want to say about this Word of God. You're not free to say and call sin exactly what it is, which is sin. That for some reason, they've got it backwards to begin to say that I want to be free as long as I can bind everybody else. That, brothers and sisters, is not freedom. And a lot of people then they run around and say, spiritually speaking, they'll say, yeah, but if I become one of you Christians, then I'm not allowed to do X, Y, or Z. And I like doing X, Y, and Z. I got in a conversation with a lady one time. She called me up on the phone and was asking me about pornographic movies and turns out she was trying to sell me some. And I said, ma'am, I'm a Christian and I don't go in for that sort of thing. And she said, well, I am too and I think it's alright and I said well you might say you're a Christian but saying it and actually being it are two different things because God made man in his own image when he got done he said man was good and what happened was man perverted himself and became something that wasn't good and what God gave man was free will that when He set man in the Garden of Eden, you'll notice that He set him there. It was perfect. It was always just the right temperature. They never had to work hard for food. They tended the garden. They communed with God. He would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. That it was such a wonderful time. I can only imagine how it was. And He put one rule on them. One thing He told them, don't do this. They had one law to abide by. I think that's interesting that uh, every time there's a gun crime, they want to pass new laws. Man couldn't even obey the one law that God set in the Garden of Eden. And you honestly think uh, that you're going to captivate criminals uh, by passing more laws. Uh, And it was now that man, through his own freedom, chose the bondage of death. And I tell you this, that everybody... You know, the only thing on this planet that knows it's going to die as a human being. Oh yeah. And we spend a lot of time trying to pretend that that's not going to happen. But if you go and examine all the other religions in this world, you'll find they everyone agree that at some point you're going to die. Oh yes. 
Now what happens after that, that's where things vary. But Jesus Christ said He'd come that you might have life and that you have it more abundantly. Not that you should die. Not that you should be captive or held down or condemned. Because a lot of times people get upset with us Christians when we point at sin and say, that's sin. My conversation with that lady, I told her that is sinful. And she said, what is it? And I said, it's adultery. And she said, how can it be adultery if you're not married? And I said, well, you'll find that adultery can be committed by unmarried people too. You'll find that you can commit adultery against your future spouse in engaging in such things. And a lot of people would say, is that the only sin? No. But in this day and time, I can tell you as a middle school teacher, I know that it's captivating the minds of young people on the daily. It's proliferated throughout our culture at this point in time. But I can tell you it's not the only sin that people are falling prey to. And Jesus said He'd come to set them at liberty. From what? From their sin. He's come to set them free, though that they were bound. And you'll notice when He was talking to the Pharisees, and they looked at Him and said, we've never been in bondage. And Jesus said, anybody who does sin is in bondage to sin. He has a master. And in the same breath, He told them, but what the Son makes free is free indeed. And we look around in our culture, and I'll tell you, I have this talk every year with students that I teach, and I tell them, I say, because a lot of times for some reason people are really down on the United States of America. Now I'm not saying that the United States of America is perfect. And I'll tell them that. I'll say, but and we say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. We get up. Say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And some of the kids, they'll try to goof off and talk, and I'll get on them pretty hard over it. And I'll tell them, I'll say, look, you're not pledging allegiance to the President of the United States. Or to Congress. Or to some politician. And I told him, here's what I think about when I stand up and put my heart on my put my hand on my heart uh, and I begin to say the pledge uh, is I tell them I think about the barefooted men in the winter of Valley Forge. Uh, they believed in an idea that all men are created equal. Uh, that they were endued with inalienable rights given to them not from man but from the Most High God. Uh, and that He brought liberty into this world uh, where that it didn't exist because man had willingly given it up. That's what Jesus Christ has for us. And there's not a person here, if I were to invite you or maybe run an ad in the paper or put it on Facebook Marketplace and say, hey, would you like for me to put you in a cage? I seriously doubt that people would answer that. There might be some oddballs out there, but for the most part, people would say, no, why would I sign up for that? Why would I be confined? And yet what we have in Christ is confinement. And you may say, oh, I don't like the thought of that. Well, hear me out. If I threw you into the ocean and sharks were swimming all about, and then I offered you the cage, would you want in? Because it would keep you from the things that would harm you. And that's what the law of God is. It's the bars not to keep you confined, but to keep the good in and the evil on the outside. When we begin to follow God, He'll put you on the right track. That I can tell you a lot of times that I don't like being told what to do, but if somebody will tell me this is for your own good and I'll buy in, I'll gladly bind myself to it. First time I ever went up in a man lift. And I can tell you, 
Those things are, don't look as solid. They look pretty solid when you're standing on the ground next to them. When you get up about 50 or 60 feet in the air and every move you make, it begins to shake and to shudder. It doesn't feel quite as sure. But while I was up there, nobody had to say, hey, tie yourself off. So if you fall out of there, you won't bust like a ripe watermelon when you hit the ground. Didn't, tell, didn't have to tell me to hang on. I knew that. And I knew that even though that thing felt rickety, it was a lot more sure than taking my chances with gravity plummeting me toward the face of the earth. And you see a lot of times though people say, oh yeah, but uh, you Christians can't do all of these things. Uh, well, the truth is, uh, if we have the mind of Christ, we'll look around and say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do those things. Uh, I had some friends at work and they uh, a year or two ago, they had them a big Christmas party uh, and apparently the liquor and wine flowed pretty freely and they were talking about it uh, and talking about how bad they felt the next day and I looked at them and I said, and you call that a good time. That your stomach and your liver apparently have more sense than your head does. Because they were talking about how much that they had throwed up and everything. And I said, yeah, man, I'm telling you what now, are you going to sell people on that? And they say, yeah, but, but, but getting that way, I enjoyed it. And I said, I don't see how. And they said, well, it's the feeling of euphoria. And I told him, I said, well, as a Christian, I've had that before in the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't phony and fake or temporary. That when we go forth with the Holy Spirit filling up our lives, that even when the sharks are swimming all around, we've got that cage about us to keep them out, to protect us. It's a blanket that insulates us against the world. I heard an expression recently in, in reference to this. It says, talking about a boat, it says the boat's in the water, but you don't want the water in the boat. And that's the way a Christian ought to be in the world. Uh, that Yes, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Uh, we don't want it to get to the inside. Uh, it'll sink us. Uh, uh, that When we take a fire into our bosom, it's going to burn us. That far too often, the problem for anybody is they want to flirt with sin. They want to say, they want to hold their hand as close to it as they can and see how long they can stand the heat before they actually get a blister. You think about how much sense that that makes. And if, if you don't believe me that people actually do that, just spend some time around some teenage boys. I'm telling you, that I've seen them do it. Hold out a cigarette lighter and see who can hold their hand over it. My brothers and I, one time, we had the genius idea to see who could stare at the sun the longest. Probably wasn't the wisest. And we were smart boys too. Uh, we give up on it after we about put ourselves blind doing it. This might be news to mom back there. I don't know. But I can tell you that people do foolish things and as absurd as that is, uh, uh, fiddling around with sin, playing with sin, uh, I can tell you uh, that at a certain point, it's going to do exactly... And of course, people roll their eyes when they hear this and they say, well, it's going to keep you longer than what you want to stay. It's going to cost you more than what you want to pay. Uh, that that's what it does. Uh, or the way the Bible puts it, it said, lust, when it conceives, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, well, it brings forth death. That's all that it does. The sin of Adam and Eve was disbelieving God and saying, uh, uh, we'll ascend. Did you ever notice that the serpent enticed them to commit the same fraud that Satan did? 
You see, Satan said, I'll ascend. I'll be like God. And then what did he tell me? Oh, God knows that if you eat in that day, your eyes will be opened and then you'll be like God. Yes, but there's only one God and you don't ascend up to Him and take His spot. But rather, you stay under Him. You abide in the shadow of the Almighty in the secret place of the Most High. That's where you're supposed to be. As I've said, and I told my uncles this years ago in business, and I told them, I said, we need to find our spot and get in it. Or I've told a classroom full of students. They'll be one up, you know, and they'll want to run around that crazy and everything. And I'll tell them, look, I've got a job to do. Get in your spot and stay there until I'm done. And a lot of times, though, we as Christians, sometimes we want to force the will of God. We'll get down and we'll pray and we'll say, God, give me this. Lord, bless me with this. And God will say, that's not what's best. And you'll say, but I want it. And God will say, but it's not what's best. And who are we to question what's best from God? You see, because we can go out and we can do the will of God and sometimes it'll land you in trouble. If you don't believe me, ask the Apostle Paul. There's a time recorded by the same author of the book of Luke in which that Paul goes into a town and there's a woman possessed of a demon. And she goes and points and says, listen to him and Silas. They're talking about the Most High God. And after a little bit, finally Paul looked and cast that demon out of her. And you'd think there would have been a celebration, but no. They brought him up before the magistrate. And the magistrate arrested him, took him, and had him beat, and then threw him in prison in that Philippian jail. And trust me, it's not like jails nowadays. You know, we, we would often, or I heard this a lot when I was a kid, you don't hear it as much often, they'll say they'll jack the jail up and throw you in under it. Well, that's pretty much what they did to Paul and Silas. So they had been beaten bloody with many stripes. Wrongly accused. They'd done the right thing. They'd followed the Lord. And a lot of people would look around and say, following God, all it's ever got me is trouble. And yet it is. And it says that about midnight, they began to sing. After they'd been praying, they got filled with not wine, but the Holy Spirit from the Most High God. And it said that right in the middle of that, that that jailhouse's foundation began to shake and the cells burst open. And I've always said, I'd say it was a song similar to He Set Me Free or something like that. And what happens is, is that God set them free. But the Philippian jailer, you remember he come in and the interesting thing is the Philippian jailer, according to the Romans, were free. Paul and Silas were bound. But by the end of it, it was the Philippian jailer who was bound. And Paul and Silas, though they were in chains, though they were in a cell, they were free because that they were citizens of a particular kingdom. And I'm not talking about Rome. And they trusted God. And then that Philippian jailer, he said... I want what you have. I want me some of that. We've jacked the jail up and threw you in under it and you're singing songs. That you act like you're happy. I thought you were just crazy until your God answered and shook this very jail. Because a Philippian jailer, he came in there and thought, well, this is the end of me. Paul had to tell him, no, we're all still here. We're still in here. But he told him about Jesus. 
And that man believed and his whole family. And Paul, I'd say in his wisdom, he knew God put me in jail so that I could free a man. And they got back out of jail. They got loose and they began to set people free in other places. And let me tell you this, if you want to set people free, then don't you need to know the freedom yourself. When people need to see that you're willing to suffer, for that freedom. They need to see that you're buying what you're selling. And I'll tell you, some of the hardest Scripture for me to live is just a chapter or two over when Jesus begins to talk about uh, bless those that curse you. Oh yeah. Give to those which despitefully... I'm still working on those. I'll be perfectly honest. I have to revisit those regularly. Don't despise the person who holds you up on the way to work because they're driving too slow. Instead, pray for them. That's hard stuff to do. Forgive. And all of that, Jesus ended with saying, be merciful so that you might obtain mercy. Because here's the thing, everybody in the world's running around hollering about justice. You've got a term now called the social justice warrior. And it's where that they are professionally offended all the time. I don't know that they're getting paid for it, but it's, they take it as their job. They're upset about it. There's never a hill that they're not willing to die Never a cause that they're not upset about. And yet it is that all justice ever does is brings a person to zero. Yeah. There's no reward in justice. You think about it. You go out there and you drive down the road and you run a stop sign and a police officer sees you. He's going to pull you over and he's going to oh, give yeah. you a ticket. And you're going to have to pay. That's justice. You broke the law. It was a rather minor law, but you broke it. Now imagine you pull up to the stop sign. You come to a complete stop. Which, let's be honest, if most of us are being honest with ourselves, we don't typically do. and kind of get a little upset with somebody who does that in front of us. And that cop sees you. Sees you come to a perfect stop at that stop sign. Do you think that he'll kick his lights on and pull you over and write you a check? Here's 50 bucks. You stopped at a stop sign. You obeyed the law. But you see, that's not what justice does. Justice only ever punishes. But everybody runs around saying, no, but I want justice. No, you don't. Justice demands that you pay for your sin. I pay for mine, you pay for yours, and I'm going to suffer and die and go to the devil's hell. That's all that justice will get you. But here's what mercy gets you. And that's what we want. Remember, all we like sheep have gone astray. There's none righteous, not one. That we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Jesus came and showed mercy. And He didn't condemn what He could have. You see, He could have come down and He could have pointed at somebody that was sinning and just said, you're dead. Yes. And that would have been it for them. He said, I've not come to condemn you. So the world's already condemned. You know, I love John 3.16. 
But if you read the whole chapter, you'll notice that Jesus says, I can kill every one of them justifiably so, but I won't do it because they need mercy. They don't need condemnation. And church, if you're out there condemning, stop and show them mercy. It's not your job to mete out justice, but it is your job to be merciful. Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then the interesting thing is, is that mercy, then what it does is it keeps you from being punished when you're guilty. Oh yeah. Justice says you you break the law, you get punished. That's it. End of story. No reward. Mercy says you don't get the punishment. You're guilty, but you don't get punished. But then there's grace. And you know, I'm sure many of you know the acronym God's riches at Christ's expense. That what it is is that Jesus came into this world and not only did we not deserve the mercy that He gave us, but we also didn't deserve the blessings that He provided for us. You see, He could have touched blind eyes. He could have healed deaf ears and touched lame legs and preached the Gospel to the poor and done all these things and then said, alright, get by the best way you can, but rather He said, I'll go to the cross and I'll pay your price. And then if you read in John chapter 14, He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you and when I get done getting it ready, I'm going to come get you and bring you there. And then He let John see it so that he might be able to begin to describe it to us. But the interesting thing is that people in this world, they run around and, and, and you know, I've heard this expression lots over my lifetime. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And I believe that's largely true. Although my aversion to death is not that I'm afraid to die so much so as I know how many people that it will hurt in order for me to get from this life to the next. But I'm not worried about what happens after that. It just gets better for me over on the other side. But there's lots of people love to run around and talk about heaven. And they love to run around and say, well, I know I'm going to get to heaven because God is a merciful God. God is also a just God. Mercy stops when your life ends. You've had your chance. I believe until that last heartbeat, mercy is available. I would never discount the mercies of God. Now you may have your own opinions on that, but I can tell you this, uh, God will show mercy to whom He'll show mercy. Uh, uh, And that is what saith the Word of God. Uh, But I'll tell you this, when a person stands up and they don't have Christ, and they lay down and die, and they stand before God in judgment, and they they may come up fully expecting to make it. To say, I was a good person. And then the accusations will come. And they'll say, well, you committed adultery. No, I didn't. Yeah, you lusted after somebody. That's adultery. Yes. Well, nobody told me that. It was in the Bible. Yes. You said in a church service that a preacher preached it. Yeah, but, but, but I wasn't as bad as everybody else. Well, we'll deal with them when we get to the end. And standing up there and saying, I this and me that. And that's the problem. When it comes to being saved... It's not on you. It's on Christ. Because the biggest condemnation is that in order for people to die and go to hell, 
they will have stepped past or over the broken body of Jesus Christ whose blood was shed for them and they refused it and rejected it and just like a sheep, they went astray and decided to go their own direction. And while they may enjoy all kinds of freedom in this life, in the next one they will be bound. And that is what saith the Word of God. But you think about the ones that go to sleep in Christ. The way Paul described it. And he said that what will happen is they'll be called forth. And, and, and you know, I, I've heard this song a lot. He knows my name. And I've thought about that a lot in the last several days. Uh, uh, how that uh, if, if, if I die and they put me in a grave, uh, uh, that when He calls me out like Paul described in Thessalonians there, uh, uh, that I believe uh, He'll call me by name out of that grave. And there's nothing going to hold me down that I'm going to come up. Or if I'm still alive, I'm going to hear my name after that mighty shout and that trumpet. And church, if you're not looking forward to that day, then the altar is open. You better come now because you may be enjoying the last few seconds this side of eternity. We don't know what's going to happen next. And you see, because when we stand before that just God and the accusations fly, God's going to say, all I see is the blood. Oh, yes. All I see is that my Son paid the price for you. That though you deserve death, you got mercy, and then you got God's riches at Christ's expense. Because a lot of people, they love to talk about heaven. I had a young man I worked with years ago. We were talking about that. He was talking about heaven. And I asked him, I said, what do you mean when you say heaven? Because he was a very profane man. And, 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 and I'll say this about him. If he was a Christian, he was a real bad example of one. I'll give him that much. I don't think he was. He knew enough to be saved, but I don't believe he was saved. And he never claimed to be. But he was talking about heaven. And I said, what do you mean when you say heaven? And he said, well, you know, heaven. He's like, you're, you're a preacher. You ought to know. And I said, yeah, but I want to know what you mean when you say heaven. Everybody loves to talk about heaven. Oh, yeah. And I said, do you mean the place with gates of pearl? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't have heaven without the gates of pearl, right? And streets paved with gold. Oh, well, yeah, you've got to have that. You know what I mean? If you're checking off the checklist of heaven, yeah, sure. All of that. And I told him, I said, that description comes from the Bible. Yes. And I love how that people want to believe that part. But they don't want to believe the part in John 14, 6 when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no man cometh to the Father except by Me. Now they want heaven, but they don't want Christ. You don't get Christ... You don't get heaven. They are mutually exclusive. And I can tell you this, and I think people miss the point when they hear about heaven. Heaven's a gated community. You ever been to a gated community? They don't let just anybody in, do they? They only let the people in that belong there, that have a right to be there, that they've paid the way. Well, I can tell you when a person gets into heaven, the way's been paid, but not by you, but by Jesus Christ. When we come there, if we answer anything other than because Jesus, then we'll not make it. 
That's what I'm counting on. I'm not counting on my good deeds. I'm not counting on what a good guy I am or to get letters of recommendation from some of you. That won't do me any good. But what will do me good is Jesus saying He is one of mine. Do you have Him? I mean, He said that He come to set at liberty those that were bruised. That He's come into this world to free us from sin. And yet it is that a lot of people think that in Christ they're bound in a bad way. And I can tell you that you may be bound, but you'll be bound and held out of the things that are bad for you. Oh, yes. Kept from them. And I, I imagine most people here have at least been to, if not at least seen, an amusement park. And they've got those fences set up around those rides. And I don't like the notion of being herded around like cattle, but it is what it is. If you're going there and you want to ride the rides and you know get to live in daylight scared out of you, and to be perfectly honest, I think that would be a great ministry to have. To preach the Gospel to people who are waiting in line to go on a ride that might kill them. You might win a few souls there. But they have fences set up to keep you away, keep you out of the area you're not supposed to go. So that you don't get down there and get your head torn off. Or get caught up in some kind of machinery. Now imagine a person just kicking those down and then going over there and something bad happening to them and then blaming the amusement park. Of course, in our legal system today, they would probably offer them some money. Oh yeah. But you think about how absurd that notion is that you went somewhere you weren't supposed to be and then you were astonished when it was damaging to you. And that's the same way sin is. Well, it looks fine. It looks good. Yeah. That worm on the end of a hook looks awful good to a fish too. But it's bait. It's a trap. Stay away. Temptation. That's what it is. Recognize it for what it is. So that you won't be led away of your own lusts and go into sin. That a Christian, that Peter, he said to be sober and be vigilant. Because you have an adversary. He's plotting your destruction. He said he walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know what that means? That means don't be sticking your hand places that it don't belong. As my dad would tell me when I was a little bitty feller, don't go long heading around. I didn't exactly know what it was, but I was frequently guilty of it apparently. Walking with my head stuck out. Going places that I shouldn't have gone. I couldn't swim a stroke and we'd go out to the lake and I wasn't the slightest bit afraid of the water. Wasn't afraid of drowning right up until I almost drowned. Then suddenly I had a nice healthy fear of it. I can tell you this church, sin is real enticing right up until that consequences are visible. The prodigal son... When he got out there, you'll notice that the famine didn't happen until he'd spent every dime he had. And when he spent it all, while he was spending it, he had lots of friends. He had lots of people hanging around him willing to help him spend it. But then when he began, came in want, where were the friends? Where was the help? And that's the way that sin does. It leads you astray and then blames you for where that you're at and will beat you to your knees and keep you there. And yet it is what a friend we have in Jesus. That I can tell you a lot of times people will come to the altar and they'll think, I'm not worthy to be there. No, you're not. You never were. 
Apparently you need to become familiar with the book of Romans. Because it says that the gift of God, gift of God is eternal life. Sin, it's a wage. Oh yes. Wages of sin is death. And you would think that people would say, well, now I don't want any of that. But I turned to the wisdom of Benjamin Franklin and he said that a youth scarcely thinks that twenty years or twenty dollars will be spent. I don't know about you all, but twenty dollars this day and time goes pretty fast. Oh yes. And at forty-two, I can tell you twenty years don't seem like that long anymore. Now when I was twenty, it was a long time. It was a lifetime. Now it's less than half of my lifetime. And I can tell you this, eternity is coming whether we're ready or not. It's going to happen. That it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this is judgment. Not just for those that are lost, but for those that are saved. But those that are saved, when they have an advocate with the Father, things go a lot better. I can tell you there was a time years ago, and I'm getting ready to hush. There was a time years ago that uh, I had a bit of a disagreement with a, a general contractor. I was a subcontractor, and they, they had a lot more money than I did, and uh, I got a letter from, from a lawyer, law firm, threatening me. And being the resistant little fella that I was, I thought, how am I going to answer this? And I, I knew how to answer the accusation of this lawyer. And I thought, but it won't mean quite as much for me as it will if I get somebody who has the words attorney at law after their name. I called one up. That was recommended by a friend who had gotten into it with the same contractor. Talked to them. They said, well, yeah, I'll write you a letter. Now, it seemed a little expensive just to write a letter, but I was paying for the attorney at law. It cost me, I think, $300 for him to write a one-page letter. I always think about that anytime students ask me, how, how, how many pages does this have to be? But he wrote that letter, and I sent it, or he sent it, to that construction company. And suddenly, they wanted to negotiate. Before, they were just going to toss me under the bus, grind me up, take me for everything that I was worth. Well, you see, that's the way Satan wants to do you. He wants to grind you to dust. He wants to, as Jesus told Peter, sift you like wheat. And he will, if you let him. Remember, be sober, be vigilant, for he walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking him in a devour. I had an advocate with that lawyer. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ. That when Satan says, see, look at that one, Christ will look and say, yeah, that's one of mine. Well, they ain't perfect. And he'll say, I know. I love them anyway. I can tell you this, every parent, if they're honest, they know their kid and they know they're not perfect. They know they're not. And they love Him anyway. God loves you anyway. Jesus Christ loved us so much that He stretched out His arms on that cross and hanged there and died. Hang there until that His life came to an end until He took your sin upon Himself, bore it upon the cross. And know this, when He died, He didn't go to rest. He went to hell. And when he went to hell, 
He took some keys back. He took them back. He brought them back. He said, He took death. Uh, he grabbed death's stinger and yanked it out. Said, You might buzz about uh, and be annoying, uh, but you'll no longer sting my children. Uh, they have life uh, and they have it more abundantly. Uh, and all that we have to do is receive the gift. You know how hard that is? It's yours. It's simple. And yet it seems difficult. Seems too good to be true, doesn't it? When have we ever been given a gift? That was the gift that just kept blessing me. You know, I, I mean, I've gotten gifts over the years that just continued to bless me, but I can tell you the gift of eternal life, it continues to bless me. And then, it's like that well of water that Jesus talked about. It keeps you satisfied. That's liberty. That's freedom. That's what we're all seeking for. Liberty under the law. Oh yes. You see, it's okay to be confined, especially if it keeps you safe. I can tell you, if you threw somebody in shark-infested water and threw a cage out there for them to get into, you wouldn't have to ask them or invite them. They'd get in that cage to keep the sharks away. Yes, there are some confining things when it comes to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's all for our own good. Yes. It's all for your blessing. I hope that this message blessed you. I hope that if the Lord's dealing with your heart, that you're considering coming to the altar. It's open.